Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. Okay, Rebecca, I'm so happy to have you on today for so many reasons, but you are an incredible storyteller. Uh, I know this because I heard your story on the Healing Birth podcast, and it's an episode called Spiritual Battleground for Birth. And then I reached out to you, and I was on your podcast, The Radiant Mission, about my fertility journey. There's just something about your Healing Birth podcast episode about your two birth stories that just it's an energetic thing I just knew it's it's a soul it's a soul thing it is and I reached out to you and you know we've been friends since then um I'm so excited to have you on because you have two incredible stories two very different stories the first story is a very typical medicalized birth with the entire cascade of interventions Pitocin, epidural, C-section, which is all too common, so horrifyingly common. Mm -hmm. But you learned so much through that, which led you to have an unassisted feedback (laughs) for your second baby. Yep. Amazing. And those are the two births covered so well on the Healing Birth Podcast episode. But since then, you did have a miscarriage that you... Mm -hmm. Uh, miscarried at home and you're going to share that story and then you're pregnant for the third time or fourth time right now but you are nearing full term how many weeks Mm -hmm. are you right now 36 and one (laughs) amazing for counting (laughs) yeah and you have a non-medicalized pregnancy you're planning to free birth again yep yep wild pregnancy free birth (laughs) love it very fun yeah. Love it. Okay. So let's do a little intro on who you are and then you can begin your story. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. This is very exciting and fun. I always enjoy chatting with you. So I'm looking forward to this conversation and you and I will go go back and forth for hours. So oh, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> we have to taper ourselves. So time me. <laughs> but my name is Rebecca Toomey. I am a mom of two earth side one in heaven and one soon to be here in a couple of weeks we'll see when that will be babies choose when they come so you know that's why i joke about if we're counting um let's see i grew up in a protestant christian household so for those that may relate to that that was kind of how i grew up i kind of did my own thing as i got into my late teenage years in my 20s as many of us do 
one of those things included, which you and I haven't really chatted much about, was I used to race sport bikes, motorcycles, and teach people how to ride on the racetrack in my whole for my whole 20s, which was a fun time, a different time, and probably the only time that I really needed the medical system <laughs> was crashing bikes. But um, I think where where I, you know, I guess a, a couple of other things to mention are I have a master's degree in English. I taught college writing for a couple of years. I ended up going into editorial work, working as an editor and a designer. Um, so I'm all about creative, the creative things. I'm a website designer as well. And I also worked as a freelance makeup artist for 15 years until I had my daughter and then I decided I wanted my weekends. Um, but I loved working in the bridal industry for a long time as well. And I worked in corporate America for most of my career. I currently run a software company in addition to being a full-time mom at home. So, and I have a podcast. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So I You're have doing a, it. a podcast. Doing it all. I try, I try, I try to squeeze wow. what I can in. Um, and my podcast was actually literally inspired by being on the Healing Birth podcast. I went on and did that episode with Diana. And after that, I just felt such a strong calling to continue sharing that story, but also other ways that I've just experienced the goodness of God because he has created us and he has created amazing creations in us. And we lose sight of that very easily. And it's just so something that I felt called to talk about and explore and especially from a birth perspective. So I'm become really passionate about birth, about talking about anything female related. So I'm not shy when it comes to uh, that area. But yeah, that's kind of a is that is that a good background? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Like I didn't know we had the wedding industry common theme yes. as well. Yes. Yes. For many, many years, um, I started in Florida, in South Florida. And then when I moved up to New York City to be with my husband, I was working in New York City and kind of New Jersey and Connecticut. Wow. And all that. Yeah, I was a hustling wedding photographer for 10 years. And now I, I mainly just photograph family sessions, families, kids. Mm -hmm. Kids is where it's at. My yeah. sole focus is that. Much calmer. <laughs> Much yeah. calmer than having to get up at five in the morning I'm sure yeah my intuition was just like okay Leah you need to slow down your life mm. stop being the hustle bay the bay boss hustle culture that was mm -hmm. good for my 20s but then my intuition told me to shift and I had to shift yeah yeah I get it I totally yep. get it I loved the I loved working in the industry and having fun with it but another thing that kind of called me out of it was products because that was something that I had begun to develop a lot of skin allergies and different allergies from literally what I was putting on my face. And they actually say that makeup artists are known for having some of the most allergies and cancers because they're dealing with all these toxic products all the time, kind of like nail technicians. So I started pursuing clean beauty and unfortunately, a lot of people don't care about clean beauty. And there's not really a place for it. When you go to professionally do someone's makeup, they're like, put whatever you want on my face. I don't care. So yeah, that's funny because the wastefulness of weddings is what got to me. Mm. 
the $50,000 of flowers that are shown to human eyes for five hours and then thrown in the trash. You know, what's really funny about that is my husband and I have what we call a budget wedding. You know, when we got married, because I worked in the industry and I knew what people spent, I was like, no, we're not going to put ourselves in debt over this. And we had ourselves a little budget wedding on the beach in Jupiter, Florida. Oh, yeah. It's totally doable. Totally. Totally. <laughs> All right. Let's start your story with, um, I think you want to start at birth control because that's the first intervention between a woman being disconnected from her body. Sure. Yeah. So it's interesting that my birth story starts with controlling my birth. <laughs> Which control is such a big part of this conversation. We all want to or think that we can control everything in our lives. And that is something that I've learned over the years that I need to release and let go of is that control. And I'm naturally a pretty controlling person. By nature, I want things to go my way, go a certain way. And I will say it didn't start out as me trying to control my fertility. It started because I had really heavy periods And what happens when you have heavy periods and you're a teenager and you go to the gynecologist is they say, oh, we'll put you on birth control and that will fix it. Little do you know, because you're 16 and you've never read a book, (laughs) that that is not fixing anything. It's covering symptoms and it it also not for nothing. When you first start encountering something, you first start, you experience something for the first time, like your period. Of course, it's going to be painful. Of course, it's going to seem crazy because you've never experienced that thing before. And I think that's one of the big things that OBs miss and even moms miss when their daughters start their period is normalizing the fact that we bleed and normalizing the fact that we are going to have cramps and addressing you know, that fact and saying, this is a normal part of the physiological way that a woman's body works. And there are things we can do to support that that are natural, like taking evening primrose oil, for example, can help alleviate some of those symptoms. But I wasn't taught that. I was put on birth control. I was put on the pill. And it caused a cascade of interventions of its own. I had a lot of emotional issues, which also being a teenager will do that to you. But over the years, I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel like myself. And so when I would go to the gynecologist, I would say, I, I can, is there something else that you can put me on because this doesn't feel right? I don't like this. And so I tried a bunch of different pills. They ended up putting me on Nuva Ring, which is that silicone ring that you stick in your hoo ha. And I started developing some very severe internal vaginal cramps from them, from that. Um, to the point where one day I was going to bed and I thought that I was dying and I went to the hospital and it turns out I had developed cysts, a cyst that had burst basically. So from there, it's like, what do you do? I've tried every pill. I've done the whole NuvaRing thing. And at this point, I'm like so indoctrinated into birth control that I think that I need to be on birth control. And my doctor says, well, you should get the Mirena IUD. It's what I have. And it's great. And, you know, you haven't had a baby before, so it's smaller than the other bigger copper ones. So, you know, go with that. I get that thing in. Immediately hate it (laughs) because my skin 
turns to trash. I never had skin problems in my life. I never had acne or anything like that. And suddenly I'm having acne as an adult. You know, I'm in my 20s at this point, mid 20s, I think by this point. And I call the doctor. I'm like, I want this thing out. Like this, this, this isn't right that this is changing my hormones in such a way. And she just goes, no, you just need to wait a little longer. Wait until, you know, things regulate. And I listened to her. And things did not get better. They got better for my skin, but emotionally I didn't get better. This was the first time in my life I ever went through anything that you could refer to as depression um, to the point where I cried every single day. And this was the also during the time that I met my husband and he thought I was legit crazy <laughs> because I would just break down and cry. Now I was a pretty naturally emotional person or was I because I'd been on birth control for 15 years? It's hard to know who who was I because I was never truly myself without artificial hormones. So it got to the point where I actually started to have suicidal ideation, where I would fantasize about killing myself. And not in a like gruesome way, but in a kind of romantic way, <laughs> to say it like that. I'd be like, I'm just going to fly to Ireland and rent a dirt bike and just drive it off a cliff. And like, I would imagine that. And then one day I'm like, this is weird. Like, this isn't normal that I'm imagining killing myself. This is not normal. And that was the day I decided I had to get this thing out and I was going to do it no matter what. And I went to a gynecologist and they couldn't get it out. And that office didn't have an ultrasound machine, so she couldn't see anything. So she's like, I need to schedule you for later. I was like, this this is happening today. Called my insurance company, got them to help me find an office that had an ultrasound machine. I go there. It's a male OB. I explain to him what's going on. And he goes, oh, you don't need to get this out. You just need to be on an antidepressant. And I almost punched this man in the face. And I'm like... No, it needs to come out. So he tries to get it out with all these different tools. They have this like sweeper tool thing and he has an ultrasound machine. He cannot get it out. So I go to the hospital and I'm like, get this thing out. And the lady tries just like the last person. And she says, I'm sorry, but it is embedded to your uterine wall and it needs to be surgically removed. So... I'm like, do it. And of course, I couldn't do it the same day because it needed I needed to be put under. So I think I was able to schedule it for a few days later. And I had, to, I had it surgically removed. But here's the really stupid thing is I agreed to replace it with the copper IUD because she convinced me, well, the copper one doesn't have any, any hormones in it. So, you know, just, just you, you'll be fine with that. So... I get the Marine out. I'm not even kidding you. The next morning I wake up and I was a different person. Like literally, emotionally, completely different. My husband says it all the time. He's like, remember when you had Marine and you were crazy? <laughs> when you were, you like could not have any control over your emotion. And then the next day you were different. Like he noticed the difference. Everyone around me noticed the difference. And that's something that's very interesting is I've actually had some friends who have had the same, the same 
you know, Morena, whatever. And I have noticed these traits in them, but you know, people don't like when you point that stuff out to them. They're like, no, no, it can't be because of that. It was just you. You're just weird. You're just, you know, you're just sensitive to that stuff. So anyway, I move on with my life. I have this copper IUD, you know, maybe two years goes by and I start developing this anxiety, this like extreme anxiety. Of course, I didn't relate it to the copper IUD. I just thought my life was really stressful at the time. You know, I was working in Manhattan, working in marketing in the city, doing weddings on the weekend, had a very stressful situation going on. We were planning, Mike and I were planning our wedding. His mom was kind of losing it. So it was just, it was a lot going on. I ended up going to a therapist for a little while and nothing was helping. And I have no idea how this came about, but I came across a Facebook group called Copper Toxicity from IUD. And I joined this group and everything I was experiencing, what I was feeling internally was what these people were talking about and they all had this copper IUD. So I'm like, another one, another birth control that has now caused some sort of problem with my body. So got that out. (laughs) And now here I am at the end of my rope with controlling my fertility because at this time, at this point, you know, now I'm into my thirties and I'd been using it as birth control to control my fertility. And I had to figure out another way. And my sister had pretty recently read Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And she said, read this book, teaches you about the FAM method, fertility awareness method. And I read it and I learned the method. I got the copper IUD out. I started tracking and I started to first finally figure out my body for the first time at 31, 32 years old. And I just remember reading that book and going, why are they not handing books like this out to teenage girls at age 14 like oh, why I, I don't why? get it I don't get it <laughs> I don't either it's something that everybody should learn and now I'm glad I learned it later you know at at any point than not at all but I highly encourage you if you don't know about fertility awareness method or any sort of natural method to learning your body research i know you had a great book recommendation i forget what um yes yeah, the fifth the... it's the fifth vital sign the fifth vital sign that's right um, yes it's it's really really good it's um the woman that has fertility friday podcast which is really good for people wanting to learn more mm-hmm. um yeah so your birth control story is indoctrinating you into this system of trusting their their drugs and their pills Mm -hmm. even though it's Mm -hmm. harming you so intensely yes yes totally it it was one of those things where I trusted I trusted I trusted until I realized I started to see the crack in the wall you know it's like you start to see things starting to break apart and when that fit that male doctor said to me you need to be on an antidepressant that was when it kind of first clicked for me if you have to use one drug to counter the what's happening with the other drug, then there's a problem here. Something is wrong. And when I finally read Taking Charge of Your Fertility and I learned how the body works, I'm like, God, I can't believe I did this for so many years, for 15 years, 
I was suppressing all my own natural hormones and the way that my body naturally works. I was honestly, at that point when I was reading the book, convincing myself I'd never, ever have a baby because I'm like, how could I? How could I have a child after what I've done to myself? I was very, I went through a lot of emotion over that and a lot of um, feelings of just regret for doing that for such a long time. And it, it was, it was just an interesting time, but it was also an awakening. That was the beginning of my awakening. And like you said, learning to not trust blindly, but to finally ask questions and to finally start to poke holes in things. But it wasn't the end of my journey. It was the start. <laughs> yeah, because you get pregnant with your first daughter Yep. And you still go to the system, but you're asking yep. the system questions. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I followed FAM to not get pregnant. And then we used FAM to get pregnant. And so I got pregnant with my daughter. She's three and a half and she's the sweetest. And I was going to a traditional OB. I actually, we live, still lived up north at the time. So in Connecticut and the practice that we went to was owned by two men, two male OBs from Long Island. They were like the most typical New Yorkers you could ever meet. They're actually really funny. And that kind of made me feel sort of comfortable. But at the same time, I was getting to this place where I was very uncomfortable also with any medical professional like doing exams down there and I, I was getting to a place where I felt something was wrong with the way things were working inside of the doctor's office, specifically OBGYNs. Yeah, because I would also say that pap smears and women being encouraged in their early 20s to visit the doctor like yearly or every two, three years, mm -hmm. which I personally don't agree with personally, um, mm -hmm. but that already is priming a young woman yes. to... Mm -hmm outsource any authority to the doctor and to be like yep. hey tell me what's going on with my vagina tell me what's going on with my cervix tell me what's going on with my, my hormones because i don't know because i don't yep. know my body because i'm on birth control it yep. all starts there and it 100%. primes you for birth it primes you to walk into the system when you're pregnant with your first baby and you say i trust you do this for me save me you deliver mm -hmm. my baby mm-hmm I totally agree with that. There's actually made a small clip from one of the episodes from my podcast where I talked about that with my first birth and how going to the gynecologist as a teenager and them saying, oh, we're just going to give you a cervical exam. You know, we're just going to do a pat and they act like it's no big deal, but it's a huge deal. They're telling you to open your legs so they can stick their hands in there, take whatever samples they're going to take or whatever, you know, they're doing whatever they're going to do. And you're, you are a complying, you're complying with it. And then, like you said, when it comes time to have a baby, they're in there doing those very necessary sarcasm, cervical checks, <laughs> which I can't wait to talk about because I, it, it drives me crazy that people think you need cervical checks in order to have a baby. I'll tell you something, that baby's going to come out whether you have a cervical check or not. But just imagine, <laughs> yeah, but imagine being 16 years old, 20 years old, getting a pap smear. It's it's so uncomfortable. I've had one it's or two cool. in my life and mm -hmm. I've hated every minute and 
I was betraying myself, putting myself mm -hmm. in that uncomfortable position, thinking, nope, this is duty. This is just what you have to do as a woman. But your intuition is saying, I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. And right there, we betray ourselves. Absolutely. And this is what happens during birth. And it begins Absolutely. in teenagehood and 20-something. And this is programming, right? This is the beginning of how we are programmed. Now, honestly, I have a three-year-old. The programming begins way before you're 16. My daughter watches Peppa Pig. Okay. Peppa Pig, they talk about going to the doctor for every little stupid thing. And it's something that is already being programmed into her mind at the age of two. And I don't know if some people let their kids watch TV when they're six months old, they might see this kind of stuff. So it could start even earlier. But at age two, she sees you have a cough, literally a cough. You go to the doctor or you go to the hospital and they're already programming all this in or, or even shots. That's something that they program into kids at age two and three. They're starting the programming early. It's coming into your brain. You're sinking all those files. And then as you grow, you're already programmed to comply. You're not programmed to question. You're programmed to comply to whatever it is the system is telling you to do. And that's something that I've learned through this whole experience that you know, we're going to talk about more, but I, yeah, so I was pregnant with my daughter and I was going, but I was awakening too, but not enough. I wish I had awakened more. So I went to that practice for a while. I felt pretty comfortable, but then we moved, we moved from Connecticut to Tennessee and I needed to find a new OB. I was already 30 something weeks, I think 28 weeks at least. Cause it was, we moved in September and her um, due date was January 1st. So I don't know what the math is on that. And I had to find this new practice. I was recommended somebody, but they weren't taking new patients. But at the same practice, there was another lady. And this is something that is just ridiculous to me. You go to these places and they're like a doctor shop of OBs, right? There's like 15 people that work there. But you're going to only go see one person for your entire pregnancy not knowing what day you're going to actually have your baby. So when you go in to have your baby, that person might be there, but they might not. And this is the most intimate experience of your entire life, having a baby. You're literally just like those times you opened your legs to have a cervical exam, you opening your legs and a life is going to come out of you and you're going to be surrounded by people you don't know. So I go to this lady for the end of my pregnancy and things didn't feel right, but I didn't know I could move. I didn't know I could go somewhere else because they say, you're not going to be able to find a doctor late in pregnancy. They won't take you. There's all this weird language that people say surrounding birth. Like, oh yeah, you're, you know, at a certain point you can't move practices. So I was just like, whatever, I guess she's fine. Like, what is she going to do anyway? So I keep going and I have a lot of questions though, because I'm starting to, like you had mentioned at the beginning, I'm starting to try to learn about natural birth. And by learn about it, I was watching like Mama Natural and some other YouTubers that were talking about natural birth. And, 
you know, studying a little bit, trying to find what I can about natural birth. And so I'm asking her questions, but she doesn't always have the wisest answers for me. Sometimes they're simple, but one that stood out was I asked her, why do women get an epidural? Because it seemed like that's something that women talk about. Oh, just get the epidural. When you have the baby, just get the epidural. Just get it. Don't be a hero. There's no prize. Just get an epidural. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I've had people in my life that are like, oh, I had epidurals. Great. So I want to know like why? And she said to me, the reason that women get an epidural is because if you're tense, then you won't dilate. And if you don't dilate, that's a problem. So some women need to get the epidural so that they can relax, so they can dilate, which technically she is not wrong, but it's not because of the epidural that you're able to relax. It's the, you're put in this crazy environment and then expected to dilate like you're being watched, you know? Um, Dr. Stu actually gave, gave a great analogy for this. He, when he came on the radio mission and we had him talking about natural birth and he goes, you know, a dog doesn't go to a busy street corner to give birth. They go somewhere in a corner to be alone. Other mammals, they go to be alone. You know, one of the coolest experiences recently, I got to um, meet some sea lions. We went on a family vacation and we got to meet sea lions and there were some pregnant ones and the pregnant ones were separated and they're in the back, just the two of them left to their own devices. And so of course, you know, I'm interested in birth. So I'm asking all these questions about these pregnant sea lions. And I said, Hey, you know, when, when they give birth, like what, what's that like? Have you been there? And the instructor guys or whatever you want to call it, the caretaker said, we've never seen a sea lion be born ever. They're always born when no humans are around. We've seen it on the cameras, but we have never, ever, ever been present for a sea lion being born. And I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> of course, you've never seen the sea lion be born because they're going to wait until they feel comfortable to open up and have been. And he actually has said that um, some sea lions, it'll take three months more four months more that they can go really long time without giving birth if they don't feel comfortable. If they're not in a comfortable space, they can actually gestate. I forget what the exact dates were that he said, but it was literally like four months longer than the typical amount of time. Yes. Yeah, so we are, we are mammals. And if we feel any threat of danger, which to our conscious mind, we might not be perceiving it as a threat, but mm -hmm. if, if, if we're in labor and a stranger nurse that we've never met before walks in the room, that can be a threat to our mammal body. And we're not mm -hmm. registering as a threat, but our body is so intelligent and so smart that it can feel the threat and start to close down. So this Absolutely. doctor's like, well, yeah, an epidural helps women open up. And it's because yep. they're in a very uncomfortable situation that's mm -hmm. very abnormal that has no privacy, that has yes. strangers walking in and, the ha in and out of the room. And birth is just like sex. Like you probably cannot orgasm in sex or even have sex if there's strangers walking in and out of the room. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> yeah. That would be really weird. <laughs> we would both 
we would all shut down. Our cervix would shut yeah. down, our vagina would shut down. We'd be like, no one is entering. So a woman's mm-hmm. body in birth is like, this baby's not exiting. Mm-hmm. Ida Mae Gaskin talks about that in her book um, where she talks about if you were to be on stage and somebody said, now go to the bathroom in front of everybody, like you're not going to be able to just go to the bathroom in front of everybody. There are certain things that we need to feel safe and we need to feel comfortable. And now I mentioned this all really to go back to this birth story to say that when I did finally go into labor or my birthing time, whatever you want to refer to it as, well, first I agreed to a lot of stupid stuff. Like I got membrane sweeps. Um, my doctor told me at my 39, like I had an appointment on 39 weeks exactly, that she was going on a 10-day cruise that day. Like she was getting off at the end of the day and going on a cruise. So I'm due in a week and she's leaving. And what does she do? She schedules me for an induction for the day she comes back from her trip. So at that point, then I suddenly feel like there's all this pressure on me that like, I need to have this baby or else I'm going to have to get an induction. And I don't know what that means because I'm an idiot. And so I'm just like, okay, I need to do all of the things. I need to have this baby come out so that nothing bad will happen to me. And I agreed to the membrane sweep. It didn't do anything. I didn't go into labor. It did take get my mucus plug out, but that doesn't matter because it regenerates anyway. And uh, two days later, Mike and I went to the movies, went to go see Star Wars, and we're in this movie theater, and I start having some contractions, and they seemed like they were pretty regular, and he was so excited. I mean, he's like over the moon, can't wait for this baby to come out. He's like, I think we need to go to the hospital. And then as soon as we get to the hospital, I like shut down. And this should have been my first sign that they said I was having prodromal labor. But to be honest with you, thinking back, I think it was the hospital. <laughs> I think it was going to the hospital because as soon as I was there, I was uncomfortable and I just didn't like it. And I did not like having to lay on this bed and then tying this thing on me to check the baby, to track the contractions, to do a cervical check. And they said I was like a two or something like that, two and a half. And they're like, all right, you need to go home. So a couple of days later, I start to, after doing all these other dumb things like eating eggplant and, you know, all watching all these videos on how to naturally induce labor, which is not a thing, I decide to use my breast pump, like a, like a real smarty pants that I am. And so I'm pumping, I'm sitting on the ball, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go into labor soon. And sure enough, I start to have some tightening. So I go upstairs, I take a bath. And then I realize that it keeps coming. So I start to time. And I realize in timing him that it's probably real. So I call my husband. He comes up. He starts timing. And we're we were like little kids. It almost felt like we were like teenagers or something. Because we're like, oh, I don't know. Do you think this is it? Do you think this is it? I don't know. Let me call the hospital and ask them. You know, so we call over there. And they're like, yeah, come in. Come in almost the same scenario in a way, except that my contractions stayed regular, but I, they did a cervical check because again, I didn't know at this time what I know now. And they check me and they're like, yeah, you're like a one. 
maybe a one and a half. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because they were so intense. And also my water did break before um, we went to the hospital when I got out of the tub and we timed and whatever. When we went to go leave and I stepped on, stepped on the first step to go down the stairs, my water broke. So, and it was a, kind of a, didn't break all the way because it was continuing to slow leak in the car. But it was just, I had this moment where I was like, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. These are so severe and I'm only out of one. And what played in my mind? What's, what stupid memory did I store in my subconscious? Oh, if you're not dilating, it's because you can't relax. And if you can't relax, you should get an epidural. And so what did I do? Give me the epidural. Give me the epidural. I got the epidural and I felt great. <laughs> I felt great. I was laying there in the bed. We were watching uh, Adam Sandler movie, Big Daddy or whatever with the little kid. And we were laughing and they came back 45 minutes later and they're like, oh my God, you're an eight. I'm like, great. And then they come back 20 minutes later and they go, okay, it's time to push. And I'm like, okay, I can't feel anything. I feel nothing. There's one little spot on my leg I could feel, but I, it, when contraction would come, but it wasn't anything crazy. So, so what do they do? They like lay you in the bed, you're laying back on your back and they're like, okay, now we'll tell you when to push because you don't know you're having a contraction. And then they tell you push like you're going number two, push, push, push. So I push for three hours (laughs) and after pushing for three hours, at some points, the doctor on call would come in. So my doctor was gone. She was long gone. She was on her vacation. And so this lady would come in. I did not know, not know this lady. Never met her in my life. She was not that friendly. And she would come in and she would stick her hand up there and she would scoop her hand around, like swoop it around the baby's head because that's how far descended Brooke was, that her head was literally right there. And she would scoop her hand around And then she'd be like, all right, well, call me when something happens, like annoyed almost. She'd get out of there. And uh, this happened for a little while. Finally, at three hours, this nurse comes in who's like, I know spinning babies. Like, where were you two hours ago? So she comes in. She has me do Walter's pose, which is where they put you on the end of the bed. Your legs dangle off for a couple contractions. And I think one other thing, and I don't know, whatever. Like she just had me do these things and then I'm continuing to push. Well, this doctor comes back in. I think it was at three and a half. And she goes, listen, I put my hand in there too many times. You're at risk for infection. We need to move you to a C-section. And I'm like, the baby's head is right there. And I just immediately like start hysterically crying. I did not want a C-section. This was not at all what, you know, I imagined would happen. And she had cleared the room of everyone, like all the nurses, the midwives, hospital midwives, the medwives. And uh, that was that. It was like, that was her, that was her, her decision. It was like, it wasn't mine. And Mike was like, I really think, you know, you should continue to try to push. I'm like, me too. He's like, the baby's head is right there. Like I've seen it. And she's like, I'll give you a minute. And the minute was basically like, no, this is what's going to happen. And I just remember going in, you know, she came back and like, she's like, all right, we're going to take you back. And that was what it was. And I'm on this cart and I'm like pushing 
And this one nurse is like, are you pushing? Stop pushing. I'm like, what do you mean stop pushing? Like, I'm going to try everything. I'm like praying, God, please let her just come out. I don't want to get cut open. Well, I got pushed back there and they give you so many drugs, which just so everybody knows, an epidural is fentanyl. And I didn't know that until after the fact. But then you're given even more narcotics when you get a C-section. Which all have a long list of drug inserts that include low APGAR scores of babies, death, hemorrhage in mom, all all kinds of stuff. All the things women Mm -hmm. should know what they're signing up for. But we are indoctrinated to trust these drugs. Yes. Yes. I mean, they don't tell you what it is. When you're in the moment, they're like, okay. And they could give you anything, literally anything they could give to you. And you're, what are you going to do about it? They strap you down. Your arms are to your sides like a cross. Uh, You're strapped on your wrist. You cannot move. And they give you all this stuff. I felt so sick and nauseous. I was shaking. My teeth were chattering. I like, it was terrifying. But also, hold on, you were given Pitocin without your oh, consent yeah. during your yeah. birth as well. Because sometimes they they drug you without mm-hmm. even your consent. You are correct. So what, when I was still in the other room pushing, I did start to feel some extreme pain for whatever reason. And I was like, what's going on? I can feel something. I feel pain. And they're like, oh, well, we have to give you Pitocin. Because we need your contractions to be closer together. They were getting too far apart. Like, oh, sorry, they, uh, my contractions were not close enough for your liking. Yeah, they control, it, they try to control a woman's body with their drugs. Exactly. And I had in my birth plan no Pitocin because I did not want to have Pitocin at all or Cyotech. Like, there were certain things that I didn't, certain drugs that I knew I didn't want in my body. If only I'd done the research on an epidural, right, and known that it was fentanyl, I think I would have second-guessed myself there. But in the moment, and that's the thing about the hospital and why I'm so passionate about home birth, is because when you're in the hospital, it's very easy to be coerced into doing anything. When you feel like your whole body is breaking apart and you're like not going to make it, you'll do anything, just about. Where when you're at home, it's like you don't have that option. Like you're, you need to focus on your mindset and focus on imagining your baby coming down in your cervix opening, and that's what's going to get you through. You yeah, know? I think the hospital takes advantage of the human condition of our mind. Our mind always Absolutely. wants the easy way out. It wants a pain-free yep. route, and they know yep. that. And so if you're, if you're at the hospital and you want a natural birth and you don't want Pitocin, you want, I mean, that, that's awesome. But in, in the moment of, of the deepest pain or discomfort, your ego is going to fight you to get that drug because it needs, it needs no pain and it needs the easy route. And that's the human condition. And they know that and they prey on that. And you have to have these very strong convictions or characteristics as a first-time mom walking into the hospital to stand up against an entire system. Mm -hmm. So you did some research of wanting a natural birth going into Mm -hmm. there, but why Mm -hmm. were you not armed or guarded enough to stand up for yourself? Or do you think it's almost impossible just being in the system as this 
you know, this woman that's trying to say no to her own body, you know, for herself, but you're up against the system. I think there's a couple layers to it. I think that because I grew up, even though my I would consider my family to be sort of awake to some of the medical stuff, we were also completely asleep. And so I think that if you are taking over-the-counter flu medication for a cold or a flu or fever reducers or Tylenol or any of those kinds of things, then that is a mindset in and of itself. And when you're living in that, it's hard to see that there's something else, that there are alternatives and to understand the body completely. So that's kind of the first piece of it because I actually do now have women in my life. One of them is someone very close to me who's about to have her first baby naturally at home. But she was smart enough to learn from the people around her. She paid attention to what was going on. And that is why she is doing it this way. But she also is more crunchy. You know, she is more holistic. She sees that the body is wise and that the body knows how to do certain things. So that's part. The other part of it is people do not talk about mental preparation for birth enough. Maybe some people do. They talk about breathing techniques a lot. And that is kind of a waste. If your mind is not prepared, like you can breathe however you want to, but you need to mentally prepare. And this is where hypno babies comes in to the conversation, which is something that I did for my second birth was I took, now there's hypno birthing, there's hypno babies, there's Christian hypno babies. There's all kinds of stuff. They all are a little bit different. The course that I took was hypno babies to be clear, because I've talked to some friends that did hypno birthing. It's not the same. There's coursework that teaches you what happens at the hospital and what happens physically. And there are also tracks that you listen to every single night or day, whatever. There's an affirmation track. And then you're listening to something that is a hypnosis track. And then something that is kind of like a technique that you'll use to put yourself in a certain, a certain mentality. And the purpose of it is to reprogram your brain. Because we are taught from the time that we are young girls through TV and friends and family and birth stories that birth is hard, birth is painful, it's terrible, it's the worst thing that will ever happen to you, and get the drums. <laughs> and what hypnobabies does is it reprograms your brain that birth is natural, birth is normal, birth, women, your body was created to give birth. You can do it. And it is a total reprogramming of how you think about birth. And now this is controversial in Christian communities because in Christian communities, they think that hypnobabies or anything called hypnosis is new age or not of the Lord or whatnot. And I had, I was up against a lot when I did hypnobabies, like even my own mom, I could just say, and, and my sister, she'll, she's pretty open about it. They think or thought that it was woo woo, that I was like, you know, doing something that I shouldn't be doing and opening up a portal that I shouldn't be opening. But what I tried to explain was that you're not hypnotizing yourself like I'm a cat, you know, <laughs> you're literally just reprogramming your thoughts to be positive. And 
there isn't anything in the Bible that says you cannot meditate on positivity. It actually says to meditate on what is good. And so it was an interesting kind of thing to go through, which funny enough in hypno babies, they have this whole thing called bubble of peace where you create, you imagine when you're in your birthing time that you have a bubble of peace around you and you just imagine who is in it and who is not. And you put a protective barrier around yourself to protect yourself from any negativity and anyone who is negative about birth, home birth, about uh, hypnobirthing, (laughs) you know, any of that stuff. And I oftentimes, I had to visualize people that were close to me that I know cared about me that were negative. And I had to push them out of my bubble of peace because it was not positive. It was not helpful. So um, I think mental preparation is something that is not talked about enough. And a lot of people do different things to prepare for that. But for me personally, I had such a good experience. And it's funny because a lot of people have like, oh, I'll listen to one track. This is weird. And it is weird. It's really weird at first. But then when you allow yourself to say, you know what? Um, listening to something that's a little weird to reprogram myself and have a better outcome than what I had the first time is worth it. Well, people it's like, don't, well, yeah, people don't well, understand that we have the conscious mind and we have the subconscious mind in our brain exactly. and our mm-hmm. subconscious mind is everything we hear and experience in childhood that is literally just, we are wet cement as a child and everything we see and hear it makes an imprint into our brain yep. forever. Yep. Yep. And we can, the brain is plastic. It can change. It can mold. And that's what hypnotherapy is, is also with the subconscious mind. It's something like 80% of all of our thoughts and actions and reactions are from our subconscious mind in our daily life. So our daily life, mm-hmm. we judge people based on our subconscious mind. We react based on our subconscious mind, based on what we saw in our childhood home, what we saw in movies growing up. We create Mm -hmm. these beliefs about the world based in our childhood, based on that programming into our brain. And we had no control over it. And hypnotherapy, hypno babies, is about taking back that control and saying, I don't like that I was programmed to fear birth. I don't like that I was programmed to distrust my body. So mm-hmm. it's reprogramming the, the, the belief about fear of childbirth to trust of childbirth. It's not mm-hmm. new age at all. It's literally biology of the brain pro- mm-hmm. reprogramming the beliefs that you don't want to believe anymore because we, we make decisions 80% of the time from this subconscious mind. And that's like living on autopilot. And hypnotherapy is taking back that control and that awareness and wanting to live your life with awareness in a different path than what your whole life taught you to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of people don't understand that when you're driving and your mind just like knows where to go to how to get home, you are in a state of hypnosis. When you watch TV, you're in a state of hypnosis. When you're scrolling Instagram, you are in a state of hypnosis. 
and you are storing, like you said, all kinds of stuff into your subconscious during those moments. But God forbid we intentionally reprogram ourselves <laughs> to throw out the negativity. And now here's the reason that I mention hypnobabies. So I go in for the C-section and they, the doctor cuts me open. And because Brooke was so far descended into my pelvis, because she was literally about to be born, everything moves inside of you. And so my bladder had moved and she cut my bladder. And in addition to that, when she had- Accidentally, right? Sure. Oh, Sure. Accidentally. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe she hated me. I don't know. Um, When she had to dig her out of my pelvis, she also tore, it's called a hysterotomy extension. So you get a cut across for the C-section on your uterus. And sometimes when they are aggressive with it, it will tear additionally uh, up or down or to the side. And those are called hysterotomy extensions. So I had some of those because she was literally cut it open and then was trying to get the baby out. And I didn't, I didn't know this at the time. I knew it. I found out after. So baby comes out and this, it was such a hard moment for me because I never imagined that I was going to meet my daughter like that, that I'm like on these drugs, high as a kite. They'd given me some kind of white pill and they wouldn't give me any water at all. So also another thing in birth is they tell you you're not allowed to eat or drink, which is the dumbest thing ever, because then how are you going to have energy to do anything? They give me this white pill without any water. So I have white powder all over my mouth and I can feel it because it's crusted on there and I can see everything because there's like everything's reflective, right? And so they give me my baby and I'm like on drugs, shaking with white powder on my mouth and I felt shame, ashamed. Like I didn't want my daughter to look at me because I felt like I looked like a drug addict or something. And it really was such a horrible feeling, right? Like you want to see your baby and be like so excited. And all I felt was ashamed of myself. And obviously she probably couldn't see me anywhere because she was just born, but I didn't know better because I'm not in my right mind. Um, They did let her latch, which was one of the only positive things that happened. I had told my husband I did not want her in the nursery at all because I had heard stories about them giving children, excuse me, giving babies injections without consent and stuff like that. So I didn't want her separated from us. But this is like three o'clock in the morning at this point. And they let him hold her for a while. And then when he left, he let them take her to the nursery. So I end up laying in here on this table, cut open for hours. Um, I think it was three hours, a little more, because they had to wait for a urology specialist to come to sew me up because the urologist that was on call looked at it and didn't feel confident that he could sew it up right because it was like a hook, I guess. And... I didn't know all this. So all I knew was like, we're waiting. They have to sew things. My husband saw all my stuff out because they take your uterus out and it's on top of your body and they leave it on top of you for that whole time. So talk about a risk of infection, right? My guts are outside of my body, on my body for three hours. And then finally, when this guy comes in, my husband said, he goes, oh man, I just couldn't wake up today. 
this is what this guy says when he walks in to come sew me up. So he sews me up and then the uh, OB has to come back in because then she apparently had to sew cervical tears because I had cervical tears. Why do you think I had cervical tears? Probably because they had me pushing and I shouldn't have been pushing because I was being told what to do. I was so paranoid at this point, at this point, Leah, like I literally was like, you're not putting an IUD in there. Are you, you better not be putting an IUD. Like I was freaking out. I thought they were like tying my tubes or like making me sterile. I didn't, I was freaking out. And so I get out of there. Also I hemorrhaged. I, um, walked, you know, walked out of there. I didn't walk out of there. I got wheeled out of there white as a ghost. They had to give me a blood transfusion. It was like four or five bags of blood or something like that. And I wonder why I hemorrhaged, right? Couldn't have been from the Pitocin <laughs> or this any is, of this, this other is stuff. The thing, though, is, <laughs> is C-sections are offered as elective. Like, hey, you can have a C-section. You don't have to have a, have a vaginal birth. And you had a C-section for literally no reason and unnecessary. Literally, literally unnecessary. no reason. Yep. No yep. reason. And the hospital, they are not concerned with safety. Because they gave you a C-section, they ruptured your uterus with a scalpel for no reason. They punctured your bladder, which required more surgery, which Mm -hmm. is even more dangerous. You're on the operating table for hours longer than you needed to be. Mm -hmm. And you hemorrhage. And then you need a blood transfusion. So talk Mm -hmm. talk to me about safety of birth. Yeah. They put you in the most dangerous situation. And people want to go to the hospital for safety. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. So then they wheel me into this room where Mike is and my baby is not. And then I really freak out because I'm like, where is she? She's not with you. And he's like, I'm sorry. I was too tired. And I don't blame him. He was with me until like 5 a.m. now at this point. And he was dying. You know, he, he didn't feel fit to hold the baby anymore. And I just kept asking for asking her and they're like well you got to finish your blood and whatever and when they finally brought her to me I was like you guys are never getting her again (laughs) this is it I'm never letting her go and I think that with a lot of people that have traumatic births it can cause problems with them bonding with their baby and for me it was the opposite I almost was like trauma bonded to her because of it that I went through such a traumatic experience that I felt completely bonded to my daughter and that I was not going to let her go. And we just went through something really hard and we were going to, we were together now. Like this was, it's you and me now. And that was what I was focused on. Now I did. Trauma bond to your benefit in this case. Sure. Trauma bond to my benefit in this case. It was like. Because I got most people positive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I do too. We have to look for like the blessings in, in a horrible, horrible traumatic situation like what you experienced. But most people get trauma bonded to their doctor, um, really believing that their doctor saved them in some way. Mm. Um, mm. So they get trauma bonded to their doctor and then they get even more invested in the system saying, oh, I'm definitely coming back here for my second birth because, you know, you really saved me and you saved my baby. Um, But for Mm -hmm. you, wow, they really did a number on you. I knew she screwed me. And honestly, I didn't know at first. So for the first day or two, when I was talking to people on the phone, like I called my mom and friends and stuff. 
I was saying that I pushed so hard that I blew my bladder out because they never told me that they cut my bladder. They said that my bladder was damaged during birth. The language that they used was very clean for their benefit. Liability. Liability. And one day I had the best, sweetest nurse postpartum that she was just really funny and she would come in and joke with us and stuff. She heard me say that, that like I blew up my bladder and she goes, you didn't blow out your bladder. They did this to you. And I was like, what? (laughs) She goes, why do you think that they keep coming in here so much? Like I was constantly being checked on all the time. And like surgeons were coming in and different OBs were coming in and somebody was always coming in. It was because they were trying to make sure that I was good and I wasn't going to sue them. Now, could I sue them? It would be hard because you do sign paperwork that says that a risk of C-section is bladder injury. So, and, and honestly, in my research afterwards, the only way that you could sue them for something like that is if you had a long-term health issue as a result of that injury. But how sick is that? That you have to have something permanently wrong with you and then like, oh, then we'll, then we could talk about it. But, you know, something that I haven't mentioned before, because it's actually a recent memory that I think that has been unlocked. So, you know, sometimes when like something really traumatic happens to you, you, your brain just shuts it off and you don't even remember that it happened to you. I am pretty positive that this doctor came in and stood in front of my bed because I started to have this memory years later, like literally years later, after talking about my story a lot. And I started to have this memory of her walking into the room and standing in front of the bed and telling me because of my injuries that I will always have to have C-sections. And But I remember being like upset about it and being like, no. No, it's not true. But again, this is something I recently have had a memory about. And I mentioned it to my husband. I'm like, do you remember that happening? And he said, actually, I think maybe. I think it did happen. But both of us were just in such disbelief. And both of us were just like, no, that that can't be. That it wasn't something we accepted. We didn't accept it. We didn't store it. So fast forward, I get a ca- I have to wear, have a catheter for a month because I, you know, they cut my bladder open. I need to keep it emptied into a bag. So I have a newborn baby and a catheter at home. But like I said, for whatever reason, my focus was all on her. And as the days went on, I became very angry about what happened very, like every day that went by, I was more pissed off because I realized that I was totally ripped off and I was mad at myself. I was mad at my husband for not being a better partner to me during that time. 
I was mad at the doctor for doing what she did. I was mad at the nurses or medwives for not knowing how to help support someone who had a posterior asynclitic baby because that was the whole issue with her not coming down quickly was apparently she was sunny side up and her head was tilted to the side. So she, she was born with a nice little noggin a certain way as because that's how she was entering the vaginal canal. So there was a lot of just like anger that I went through that, you know, we all process our trauma in different ways and it kind of came out for me over time when we decided we wanted to have more kids. So I listened to the medical system and waited for 18 months because that's what they say to do between C-sections. <laughs> and, you know, we followed fam. We didn't get pregnant on purpose. And then 18 months comes around and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm ready to do this again. But this time we're going to do things different. Like I don't trust these people anymore. I don't trust what happened. But this time I also had a spiritual change of heart too. And I started to really ask God to reveal things to me, to teach me how to do this, because I realized that I had put all of my trust into doctors and into the medical system and that he created my body and I wanted him to help lead me towards truth about that. And so I would say that everything that happened thereafter was a result of seeking him to help guide me through this because it was like one thing unlocked, unlocked, unlocked. So the first was educating myself about physiological birth. So I mentioned the first time I was watching YouTube videos. The second time I was reading books written by midwives that deliver babies at home. You know, I read um, Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. I read Heather Baker's book, Home Birth on Your Own Terms, and a couple other home birth-based physiological birth books. I started to follow Instagram accounts that were focused on physiological births. I started working on getting over my, not necessarily fears, but I avoided watching birth videos the first time because I thought they were gross. And that was another thing I had. To, I realized I'm like, if I'm going to have a natural birth, I need to know what this is like. And so I forced myself to watch birth videos. And over time, I enjoyed watching birth videos. And I joke that I watched like 20 babies being born a day, even today, because all the accounts I follow are like birthing accounts where people are giving birth to babies. And the more you immerse yourself into something, the more you know, you're able to, you're able to accept it. So for example, if you don't go grow up butchering chickens, it's going to be pretty gross the first time that you watch a chicken being butchered. And I hate to use that as an example when it comes to birth, but that's how our culture perceives birth. It's on the same plane. Like people think that it's so gross. People will literally throw up or pass out at women giving birth. And I'm really mostly talking about men here, but <laughs> some so women too. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, why are we taught that this is gross? It's literally the most beautiful, amazing thing ever that our bodies were created to do this. 
Yeah, and it's so- programming because even period mm-hmm. blood, like a lot of men ha- or boys or males in general have never seen period blood. And there's this programming how gross it is. But imagine they're just exposed to it their whole life. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and they're exposed to porn at such young ages. And then they think that's normal. And we should be showing men birth videos. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> that's what should be going on. Absolutely. You know, this was that going back to my husband, he also regretted the way that things went and he wanted to do over too. Both of us wanted to do over. We wanted to do this again and do it the right way. And well, the first he, time you guys were so disconnected, you felt like yeah. he let you down and it mm-hmm. kind of drove your connection apart, which your second yeah. birth story is the opposite. Yeah, he really freaked out, like really clammed up when I was panicking when we first got to the hospital and they're like, you're a one and a half or whatever. And he just didn't know what to do. And he just clammed up and like stepped back. And when I said I want an epidural, he was like, you don't want an epidural. And I'm like, be quiet, you know, and that that was it. And then we were pretty disconnected from, I mean, we were good, we were fine, but we were now into the cascade of intervention. So it's it's not like we were working together to get this baby down anymore. It was now all the medical system. And so when we were going into it the second time, it was like, come here, watch this birth video with me. And he would watch them. I would read parts of the books to him. We would talk about it. And then I started doing hypnobabies at 28 weeks and he did it too. So he also took the course and he also listened to the partner tracks And there were some exercises where he would read scripts to me and he has a very calming and like soothing voice. So he actually was really good at reading the scripts and some of it was kind of, it is kind of funny. Like one of her things is she'll say, peace. And we just couldn't stop laughing when she would say that. And it kind of became this positive, fun thing during my birth, my second birth with Ben, because he would jokingly go, okay, peace. And I would laugh. And then that's good. Like gets your oxytocin going. So the whole peace release. And he knew the language to speak to me. He was like a really well-trained doula, I have to say. (laughs) Now, the second time I also, in the beginning, I was going to an OB at first because I still, you know, wanted to see what was going on with this whole VBAC thing because they, you know, said I had, you know, I'm a VBAC now because I had a C-section. So I found the most VBAC friendly doctor in town and he's been practicing for like 50 years (laughs) and I didn't enjoy going there. They make you wait for so long. They come in, they talk to you for five seconds and it was just another hospital situation. I'm like, I'm not doing this. We're not doing this again. And the thing that really ran me out of there was that they have midwives. I, I Okay. It drives me crazy that they call them midwives, but they're medwives because they have a different philosophy than a true midwife would have. And this, she was new and she was talking about how, actually she wasn't talking about anything. I get in the room and she starts asking me, about vaccinations. That's the first thing that she wants to talk about. And I'd never met her before. You you know, they're rotating around at this place. Like you see the doctor, you see different midwives. And it just put me off. I'm like, 
she said, um, so are you going to get, I think it was like Tdap or something. And I go, no. <laughs> she said, okay. Uh, what about whatever? I, for, I forget what it was like flu shot or something. And I go, no, definitely not. And she could tell I had like a little attitude about it. And then she was like, and, uh, what about the COVID vaccine? I'm like, absolutely not. Why are you asking me this? Aren't we supposed to be talking about birth? And that was the day I walked out and I never, I never came back because it just was so ridiculous. Like, why are you talking about injecting me with neurotoxins while we're supposed to be here talking about this baby that's coming? And I just, I don't know. I didn't feel right about the whole thing. And that was when I started exploring home birth midwives. Hold on. The vaccine conversation. So your your mom had two vaccine injured babies. So your Correct. red flags on vaccines were up at a very young age, right? They were, but it's almost like I forgot about it. So my my one of my siblings was injured as a baby baby, like a couple months old. I think it was from MMR. And it just was a terrible reaction. My mom was like, forget it. This is not good. So I was not vaccinated as a newborn and neither was my sister. Um, the next time that we see, received something, I think I was four years old, the first time that I ever received a vaccine. I've only had a few as a child. My sister was injured by two vaccines, actually. The first was the chickenpox vaccine, which she never should have gotten because she has natural immunity to the chickenpox. We all had it. She couldn't get it. She didn't get it from us even being exposed. And then this doctor convinced my mom to give it to her. And she got shingles at nine years old immediately, like a couple days after she got this shot. And that was kind of, so we avoided it. We we weren't the type of family that was like running to get flu shots or anything like that. But when Gardasil came out, you know, there was a big push when that whole thing started. And my sister got the Gardasil shot and then passed out in the office, literally flatlined on the floor. And they told her, oh, you must be scared of needles. Even though she got the shot and said, I feel lightheaded. And they're like, okay, sit here, sit here for a minute. She sat there for a minute. And then when she walked out, she fainted. That's crazy. Which that's a known side effect now that's listed on there. It's fainting. Wow. So we kind of were in tune to this, but it actually took my sister having her kids and her oldest having a very terrible reaction to something. And when I was having Brooke, she said, you need to research, do your research. I started reading inserts. I started reading side effects. I started reading about the actual diseases themselves to see what's worse. If you contract this disease or you get injured by this shot, like which one is worse. So I will say that one of the benefits, even though I didn't spend enough time focused on physiological birth preparing for her at least i ha- at least i was spending my time doing that <laughs> you know yeah so going into this i definitely oh my gosh i missed a piece what so rogam oh yes huge piece huge rogam yeah so apparently if you are negative blood type and your partner is positive blood type you're screwed. <laughs> Your body's broken, man. You're totally busted. And you need to get a shot that consists of other people's pooled blood 
that's spun and could have any disease in it that they can't filter out. And they need to inject that into you just in case your blood and your baby's blood come into contact with each other during pregnancy or birth. So, which, which the womb, your baby's blood and the mother's blood and the entire womb was created to not cross blood paths. Yes. They're the entire womb of is, each other. Yes. The entire womb is created and and a situation that maybe is like a blunt force uh, an example like a of accident. Yeah, like an accident blunt force to the womb when your baby's in in the womb where their blood then spills between yours and the baby's. Mm-hmm. But the entire womb is created to not have that intermingling. Yes. God yes. created it perfectly. Yes. Yes, he did. He did, but not according to science, who likes to make money off of things. So at 28 weeks with my daughter, first birth, was told I needed to get Rogam. So I got Rogam. And the day that she was born, I was told I needed second dose of Rogam. So I got it. And then what happened was shortly thereafter, I was having and experiencing anaphylaxis. My throat was closing up. Things were swelling. And I know this feeling because I am highly allergic to red four, which is also called carmine, which is made out of cochineal beetle. It's a whole gross thing. Look it up. It's in your cosmetics. It's in your food. (laughs) But so of course, immediately I'm like, did something have red four on it? They had given me an iron pill and I'm like, was it coated in red four? You know, I'm questioning things. And they're like clueless. They're just like freaking out. I had to use my own EpiPen because they're like, we can't get one fast. (laughs) Like, okay. Thank God I carry one with me. And so mind you, this is like the, I finished surgery at five or six in the morning, get blood transfusion, go into my room. And then they give this to me in the afternoon. And this happens. This like, it was like one thing after the next, right? So... (laughs) I realize as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, the only two things that this could be from are this iron pill and they looked it up and there was no red four or this injection. And interesting that it could be from this injection. And then that's when I went down the rabbit hole of Rogam to see what it's made out of. Why would this happen? And then that's when I went back into my handy dandy photos, photo album. It's a good thing I take 5 million photos because shortly after my 28 week appointment, I developed a very severe reaction, rashes all that would appear all over my body that literally made me want to rip my skin off. It was, I thought maybe it was like scabies or something because it felt like alive, something was alive under my skin, eating it. And it was so itchy and painful. And when I went to my OB, she goes, oh, take take an oatmeal bath. I'm like, lady, an oatmeal bath is not going to help me. It's not going to, I already have, first of all. It's something's happening internally inside of me. So as I was researching at that time, I thought it might've been pups, which is something that happens to you during pregnancy, supposedly. It's probably a cover for a Rogam reaction. (laughs) But, uh. I started researching and what people do to, it's basically a toxicity of your liver bile. 
And so I thought, well, then let's detox my liver. And a natural way to do that is using dandelion root. So I purchased dandelion root capsules because I knew I couldn't drink enough dandelion tea. I'd have a cup of tea at night and I was just taking high doses of dandelion root supplements. Within days, I was better. And I also was doing hot showers with grandpa's pine tar soap, like externally. And I made my own concoction of just like organic coconut oil with a little bit of peppermint and a little bit of tea tree oil to just like soothe it after I would get out of the bath. But side note, if you have pets, be careful because peppermint is toxic to dogs. And my dog was licking me and I ended up having to take her to the vet over this because she kept licking my arm (laughs) and she got a stomach ache. So anyway, um, that whole thing happened. And when I looked back, I'm like, I did have a reaction the first time, the first time and the second time. And again, I ended up finding another Facebook group. What do you know? There's a group out there. It's called Rogan Rebellion. And there are people in there that share their experiences of what happened to them. There are different allergic reactions and whatnot after taking this product. And now there's a lot of controversy, extra, more than there was then, because now anyone who has the COVID shot, if they, are a do- if they donate their blood for Rogam, it's in it. So a lot of people now are waking up to it because they're like, well, I don't want mRNA. I'm avoiding it. So like now I'm going to get it through Rogam. Um, Yeah. So people just, people just need to understand that any intervention, a shot of Rogam can have consequences, adverse effects, because you are messing with the body. You are manipulating the body. Um, A hand in your vagina for a membrane sweep. That is an intervention. That Mm -hmm. is messing with the body. That is manipulating the body. And there are side effects. There are natural consequences. And And it might not happen to you, but there's always a natural consequence to manipulating the body. 100%. 100%. And it's like, what do you think is going to happen when you're injecting not just one person, multiple people's blood, you're injecting that into your body. Plus all the preservatives and stuff that are in there too. After I went through this whole thing, I honestly, and this is my personal opinion, but in my heart of hearts, feel that it is a scam. And now people will be like, yeah, but some people have been, have had sensitized blood and some people, you know, develop uh, whatever disease from, from this. And that can, might be true. But something is not right. And in my, in my intuition, something isn't, it, it doesn't feel right that I would need to inject myself with something in order to, you know, have a thriving child. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not buying it anymore. Yeah, so, so, there you, are, so for your second pregnancy, obviously you didn't have one. And now with a third, obviously you haven't had one. Correct. And with my second, so I ended up going with a home birth midwife, she did check my blood to see if it had been sensitized multiple times. And that made me uncomfortable because it's like, why are you even checking? What, if I get sensitized, what are you going to do about it? There's nothing that they don't really do anything. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing about Rogam is like, ask a doctor in a, in a OB in a hospital setting, a question about it. 
they have no idea. They're going to repeat scripts that they've been told. But (laughs) when I went after Brooke and I told them, like, I'm never getting Rogaine again because I had an allergic reaction. One of the doctors that I saw at the VBAC friendly office, he goes, he walks in the room and he goes, oh, you have bad mojo. I'm like, excuse me? He's like, you had an allergic reaction to Rogam? I've never heard of that before. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, okay. And so then I'm like, I'm going to ask this guy questions. And so I'm like, all right, excuse me. So say that my baby becomes sensitized. How will you know? And he's like, I think something happens to the skin. And I'm like, what happens to the skin? Like you can see it in an ultrasound. Like he literally was just talking out of his butt. He had no idea what he was saying. Oh my gosh. He was just like, yeah, something, something weird happens with the skin. And it was just another one of those times that it's like building the case against the system for me. You know, that I walk out of there, I'm like, this guy has no clue what's going on. And you just have to ask simple questions too. <laughs> simple questions and they can't even answer it. Or like when I was uh, pregnant with Brooke, my first doctor, I had on there that I didn't want to give her vitamin K. And she said on, uh, she read my birth plan. She goes, okay, this looks fine, but you need to change this. The one that says not to give her vitamin K, you should give her vitamin K. And I go, Why? And she's like, well, because if you don't, she could die. (laughs) I'm like, oh, interesting. How many babies have died in your practice from not getting vitamin K? And she goes, uh, uh, and then rambles, like doesn't know what to say and got out of there. Like it, it was out of the script. She didn't know how to respond to that question. Yeah, you're you're a rebel just asking questions, which which God forbid. Yeah, and this is how we're programmed to just shut up, be silent, trust authority, be polite little pleasing women that don't question. And it's like be just a good little girl and and the doctor's your parent. And yep. it's this compliant yep. parenting that I believe using fear intimidation tactics from a parent to a child in young ages and then we grow mm-hmm. up and that's the dynamic that plays out between a woman and her doctor you can't speak up you can't question because you will get threatened you -hmm. will be punished you'll get yelled at and we then don't question to avoid the shame yes absolutely because you can't ask questions i mean you they might not like you after that and then what then what are you going to do where are you going to go stay home (laughs) this is why you need to stay home okay let's move on to your unassisted VBAC at home. Yeah. So I was going, I found a midwife, a home birth midwife. I was going to appointments with her, which felt way different than the doctor because you go and you actually talk to her for an hour, for one whole hour, like, like human beings. And I ask her questions and she answers them and we could talk about stuff. And I had a lot of questions about physiology. I had a lot of questions about emergency scenarios like I said, I really felt the Lord leading me to learn about birth and to learn about it as if I was my own midwife, not just I'm outsourcing now from hospital to this lady. No, 
she's a teacher and I'm learning from her. And I asked her a lot of questions. So she interestingly had a free birth and it happened just to work out that way because she had moved and she probably would have found a midwife, but she was so far along. She was like, ah, I can do it. I'm a midwife. And so she shared her experience with me and kind of how that went. And I don't think that she, she probably wished she was more mentally prepared. (laughs) I think that she would probably say, but she did it, you know, she got it done. And, uh, I just, you know, I felt like we had a good relationship. And like I said, I learned a lot. I was doing hypno babies and I was just preparing. And most of all, it's just, I felt this very, very strong voice from the Lord that said, stay home, just stay home. And there were a bunch of things that came up that, you know, could have caused me to go the other direction. And that being like family, being really scared, like you're going to have a VBAC at home. Like, what if something happens? You know, lots what a lot of people say. They're like, oh, well, what if something happens? And that is for some people can be difficult for them to shake. But for me, after such a traumatic situation, I'm like, I look what happened to me being at the hospital. I am safer here away from those people. And I also discovered in this that I was still holding on to a lot of bitterness towards the OB that had, you know, been on call when I had my daughter. And I realized that I needed to process that, that I needed to forgive her and I needed to move on because harboring that was not helping me. She doesn't even know about this. You know, it's not like we're, we talk or anything. And so releasing that and just releasing that forgiveness was big for me because it was like, I release, you know, this anger that I feel towards this woman and the situation. She doesn't know any better. This is how she was taught in the system. This is just what she does. And that helped a lot. Well, then 35 weeks, my midwife has me go to do a scar check This is something that is a common practice because legal midwives, they have to follow laws and rules in order to keep their midwife license. So she was licensed? She was not unlicensed? She was a licensed midwife. Okay. So she reports to the state and they have to work with the medical system on certain things. And so funny enough, what uh, system is she tied to? As a midwife, and all the midwives in my town, all of them are tied to the same hospital where I gave birth the first time. That's the practice where they send everyone to get ultrasounds at this high-risk OB, you know, center, whatever. So I go have my scars checked and my C-section and the hysterotomy and the cervical, everything is healed and everything is thick. And here's something that's just hilarious. They're supposed to be, I researched it before I went because I wanted to make sure like I was not going to get screwed by this. The actual thickness is supposed to be in a unit count, you know, like two millimeters, four millimeters, whatever. And they look at them, the, the tech that does the scans looks at them, then this doctor comes in and everything. And I'm like, 
okay, you guys are saying that they're good and they're thick enough, but how many, you know, what, what thickness are they? And the doctor goes, thick enough. (laughs) Like, okay, whatever. The worst for me, thick enough. So she was more actually bent out of shape about the Rogam thing because the doctor that actually looks at the scans is an OB and she had read, I guess, that I was, you know, going to have a home birth and I wasn't going to have a Rogam. And she was like really bent out of shape about it. And I'm like, listen, lady, I had an allergic reaction. I'm not doing this. And she went off for like 30 minutes giving me this whole speech. And so I tried to like play cool with her just because I didn't want to have problems here. But she's like, okay, here's what you need to do. If you have the baby at home, I want you to come to the hospital after. And we'll have all of the stuff ready when you have an allergic reaction. We'll have the drugs ready for you. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) But I also asked her because again, like I'm trying to learn here. If I had a uterine rupture, what would that feel like? How would I know the difference between a uterine rupture and a contraction? And she explained, it won't stop. The pain will be constant. A lot of people feel a pulling in their shoulder. And so I was also asking her legitimate questions, trying to learn, you know, if your fear is of rupture, then like teach me what that would feel like to have a rupture. So I'm about to walk out of there. Cleared, right? I cleared. My scar is good. I'm going to have my, my V back. And she's like, is there anything else I can do to help you? And I was like, actually, my midwife has been trying to get my full record. She's gotten summaries, but she doesn't have the full operations report. What do I do to get that? And she's like, oh, you got to call. You got to just call this, call the number or whatever, call the hospital. I'm like, okay, I'm at the hospital. So I walk out of there. I go down to records. I get my physical records. And I also got Brooks records because I was really still to this point, like I didn't know if they had given her anything without my consent, which thank God they did not when I looked through it, at least it wasn't documented. So I get the report. I take a picture. I text it to my midwife. She calls me like 15 minutes later when I'm in the car and she's like, "Uh, we have a problem. And she was pretty upset. She said the doctor at the high risk obstetrics office called me and told me that I shouldn't do your home birth because on the last line of your operations report, it says not a candidate for TOLAC due to hysterotomy extensions. And again, at this time, I didn't, I was, I didn't think I'd ever been told this, but I do think after that they, that woman did say that to me and I just blocked it out. So I'm like, okay. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I've never been in this situation. I was only like maybe her seventh VBAC or something like that. And she hadn't had somebody with hysterotomy extensions yet. So she wasn't familiar with the risk that that might carry. So she said she was going to call over to my old OB, the one that I was going to originally, the VBAC friendly, except she talked to a different doctor. She didn't talk to the guy that I was going to. And the woman she spoke to was newer, greener, and, you know, not on the same plane. And she was like, yeah, I'd send her to the hospital. 
But if you would have asked my doctor, he told me that hysterotomy extensions actually happen a lot. And he was actually surprised that a urologist came to sew my bladder. He said, I sew my own bladders. Like as if they get injured often, he sews them himself. (laughs) Wow. I sew my own bladders and hysterotomy extensions happen all the time. Like no big deal. Injuries happen all the time. They happen all the time. This is just part of it. So please be aware if you get a C-section, these are risks that you're taking. And it's apparently normal to some people. He goes, that must have been like a really bad doctor that she couldn't have done it herself. I'm like, thanks. That makes me feel so much better. So my midwife was struggling with this. And I just had this immense peace come over me shortly thereafter because this happened. And then the next day, my doula came over. So I I had a doula the second time. And I chose her because she was a very strong Christian woman who had, you know, similar faith as me. And I, I'm crying and I dumped this whole thing, the story about what's, you know, what's going on. And she goes, you, you don't have anything to be worried about. The Lord is with us. And this peace just like washed over me. I'm like, you're right. He is. I don't need to be worried about what the midwife is going to do. The Lord has sent me on this mission to learn everything I can about birth. And I learned what to do in emergency scenarios, what to do if there's a hemorrhage, what to do if there's a uterine rupture, you know, if a baby is a certain way, whatever the case might be, there's only a couple of emergencies that are even possible, right? So I learned about those and Mike was like, we're going to do this. And, uh, (laughs) So we had this piece and I just, I remember talking to my sister and her being like, you're crazy. You can't do that. And him, and him being like, we're doing it. (laughs) And we just, um, we were united in that. And so uh, by this point, you know, my midwife ends up saying, "I, I don't feel comfortable. And I was like, listen, no hard feelings. I would rather you not, if you don't feel a hundred percent comfortable and you're not, if you have fear, then I don't want you here. We don't want any fear in this space. We want this to be, you know, only people that feel positivity, right? And like have good energy because the last thing I need is some scared midwife in the corner, like waiting for me to die. So So she did you a favor. She did me a favor. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, I understand where she's coming from. I don't want, I didn't want her to lose her license either over something happening to me. I knew nothing was going to happen to me. I had, you know, this tremendous peace and confidence about it, but you know, it's not my decision to make, it's hers. And she needed to make that decision for her. And even if she had come back and said, you know what, maybe I will do it. I don't know that I would have been okay with it at that point, you know, because we had come to such a peace. So at 39 and five, I, um, oh, actually, uh, I, I got to share the spiritual warfare part, don't I? Yeah. It's so crazy how many things have come Hold up on. during so, all of this. So 30, 39 weeks, you guys mm-hmm. decide you're going to free birth. 36 weeks, okay. we decide. That's when she officially backed out at 36. So from 36 on, we're doing it on our own. And at 39 and 5, 
I, well, I, I guess I still have to back up a couple more days. So my mom comes in because I had Brooke at 39 and five. I went into labor with her. We had my mom come in at 39 weeks. She lives in a different state and we just, you know, wanted to have, she's, my mom's the best. She's here to take good care and be here for Brooke and everything like that. So she comes in and then, you know, I can't stop thinking about this bubble of peace. And I'm, I start to get a little worried. I'm like, I just felt like something was, something was weird was going on. Like I couldn't explain it, but my intuition, something was going off that something didn't feel right. And I didn't know if it was my mom and it, I, it didn't make sense because she was being supportive of me. And even though she didn't like hypno babies, she was like, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. <laughs> so I didn't think that it was about that. And as the days were kind of getting closer, one day we were all sitting on the couch. My mom was sitting over here and Mike was sitting over here and Brooke was in between us. And I guess his phone was like on that side of the couch. And he was like, oh, can I have my phone? And my mom hands it to me. And when she hands it to me, it like swipes up on, and you know, sometimes it shows recent apps. And one of the recent apps was something I'd never seen on his phone before. And I'm like, what is this? And I click on it and shoot, I forget the name of it now. Um, but it's basically like an app where people can download videos of themselves, like playing music or whatever. But every person that he was following was a woman and it was like scantily clad. And I'm like, this is out of character. This is like weird. And I like, my heart started to race. I started to feel sick because I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? And I just kind of look at him and he looks at me, he's like, and I like show him his phone and he was like, okay. And I knew I couldn't talk to him because my mom is sitting here and our daughter's in between us and like, we don't want to start a thing. So we kind of table it for later and we talk about it and he's like, oh, I just, you know, I was listening to this, whatever. And it led to this. And I'm like, yeah, but why is every single one a woman that is wearing a bra? Like that's a little suspicious. And so, you know, we're, we're, the days go by and we're kind of like talking about this and I just did not feel peace, even though he like deleted it and everything. It's just something about it didn't feel right. So I wake up at two in the morning at 39 and five to a voice telling me, go pick up his phone and look in files. I'm like, look in files. It's a very weird place to look on an iPhone. And I, at first, like I didn't want to do it, but again, my heart was like racing and I felt sick and I'm like, I feel like I need to do this. And so I get up and I walk around the bed and I open his phone and I click on files. And it was like his phone had cookied him. And it was a couple of basically looked like screenshots of a pornography website that he had visited that had, you know, this person and this many videos that he had saved and whatever. And there was a couple of them. Now the dating on them was not recent. So this was March and they were dated from December. So it wasn't like this happened yesterday kind of thing. But at the same time, he and I had an agreement that there's no pornography in our relationship. There was no um, 
self-serving, self-servicing himself. Like that was something that was between us when we got married. And at this point, we had been married for four years. So it was like a really shocking discovery for me because I had thought that this whole time he wasn't doing anything like that. So I look at this stuff. I feel sick. And I wake him up (laughs) from cold sleep. And I was like, you know, and he said it was like one of the worst moments of his life because he had wanted to tell me about it, but he didn't know how. And he just hoped I wouldn't find out that way. And then I did. And it was a hard conversation to have because he had to admit like, yeah, I've been doing this behind your back. And even though we had an agreement and everything. And so I was upset. Like I was just emotionally like, I can't trust you. And what do you need when you're going into birth with someone who's your partner? Trust more than anything. And now all of a sudden, like our foundation has been shaken because I feel like I can't trust him. So I had appointments that morning that I needed to go to. My mom went with me and he told me I could tell my mom. Well, he knew my mom was going to know something was going on because of how upset I was. But he's like, you know, I don't want her to see me in this light, but you know, you have to do what you have to do. And I told my mom, excuse me, I told my mom and she was so understanding and like just, she wasn't angry with him. She was disappointed and, but she was supportive and she was like, I want to pray over you. And she prayed over me and that just made me cry even more because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think my mom's ever prayed over me. And we went to the chiropractor, I got an adjustment and I like immediately felt the baby move. Like I felt the baby drop. We stopped at the grocery store. I'm like, this baby feels like it's about to fall out. And we got home and I went to go change my pants because I felt like something was going on. And I sit on the toilet and sure enough, my water is leaking. And at this point, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a wreck from what's going on right now. Like what I just found out and my water is leaking and what do I do? So I call my sister. (laughs) She's, she's two years younger than me and we're very close. And she is a very strong Christian woman that is on a spiritual path of her own as well. And I really look up to her and what she studies and everything like that. And I tell her what's going on and she goes, listen, this is spiritual warfare. You know, we haven't talked about this in a long time, but you are being attacked right now. And the purpose is to tear you and Mike apart. You know, the enemy seeks to kill and destroy. And what does he want to destroy more than anything is the family. And if he can get to you through this and tear you apart, then he's he's won. He succeeded. Don't let him win. And she's like, she told me about a situation that had happened between her and her husband and some advice that she had been given and said, listen, can you pre-forgive him for what has occurred and put your trust in him for today so that you can get through this day? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I guess, but it really resonated with me when she, when she said it to me, because I felt such a dark force that I thought in my mind when I heard that voice, like, is this the devil? Is this God? Like, who's telling me this? Where is this coming from that I'm having this intuition about it? So 
I ended up calling Mike to come up after we got off the phone. And, you know, I told him like, obviously we're going to need to work through this after this, but I am, ex- I want to extend pre cause he had asked, you know, for forgiveness and said he was really sorry and everything. And then I prayed over him and that was like a really powerful thing for us to go through. And, you know, he did some anointing of doorways to like keep these evil forces out of this birth space and things progressed from there. And three, four hours later, our baby was born in our bathroom in a birth pool and my husband caught him. So it was a totally crazy experience that started as a very um, tumultuous thing. But for whatever reason, I was able to get into a calm space after we just had that moment of like, all right, we're, we're going to come back together and be a partnership, be a team. Um, I ended up wearing my adult diaper, went downstairs and labored with my daughter for a little while, just like holding her and playing with her because she was, you know, two at the time, listening to worship music and just kind of like doing whatever my body felt like doing after about an hour or two. I was also timing my contractions to just kind of see the progress of things and to see when I wanted the doula to come. And it told me like, go to the, pack your bag, make sure your bags are ready to go to the hospital. I'm like, okay. And then it was like, go to the hospital. I'm like, okay. And at that point I decided to go upstairs and get in the pool and just kind of went with what my body wanted to do. It was like, it knew. And I just imagined, I went to that hypno baby space and I just imagined the baby coming down my cervix opening. And that's what happened. (laughs) There was definitely a point at which I, uh, so Ardula actually got there like 20 minutes before he was born. And she said, feel down there. Cause I felt like I had to go number two. And then I did. (laughs) And then after that, she was like, feel down there. And I was so paranoid to feel down there because of this whole cervical check thing. I did not want anything to do with that. But she's like, no, feel down there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel his head. I feel his hair like waving in the water. And she's like, well, you should sit back or lean forward so you don't shoot him down. And I sat back and then Mike jumped in and a few more pushes, pushed him out and he caught him. And it was beautiful. It was just like, it was the most redemptive, amazing birth after something that was so garbage. (laughs) And it's just a great experience. And Brooke happened to be taking a nap during this time. So it was kind of nice that my mom was in there too. She's the one who actually took, there's a bunch of videos and pictures on my Instagram. My mom took all those videos and pictures. She probably regrets it because <laughs> her daughter's out here like giving birth on Instagram. But um, then my mom went and got my daughter because she had woken up and she came in and got to see her little little brother. It's just crazy the complexity of your first birth and all of the injuries you sustained and the side effects you sustained, and then this birth is just simple. Nothing yeah, to it. It's so simple. It's, it's hardly no. a story. <laughs> it, honestly, it is hardly a story because it was like three hours. That was it from my when my water broke to – actually, no, from when the first contraction because I didn't have contractions when my water broke. Contractions started like an hour later, and then it was three hours, and he – came down and he came out and then I got in bed and birthed the placenta kept him on it for an hour or a little longer and then I got to go rinse off (laughs) and 
it lay in my bed and just be normal and, you know, eat Thai food. (laughs) So it was a totally different experience. And I'm just so grateful. I, I definitely give all credit and glory to God for getting us through that because I know it was him creating my body to do this, but then also being present during this experience. And then of course us choosing not to allow what happened to separate us because that could have been, that could have been a reason for me to go to the hospital and be like, I don't trust you. I'm not, and I'm not going to do this by myself. But instead it was, let's stay a team. Let's stay a unit. And we worked through our stuff together between us. Um, we actually did a couple of different studies on the Bible app. And then we ended up going to a marriage class uh, called Reengage. Actually, we did it re- more recently because, you know, Ben is only one now. <laughs> so in January, we started the class and it went every, it was every week for a couple of months. And that gave us time to kind of close the processing of some of this. And, you know, it brought back up a lot too. And I think that birth is a time of heightened spirituality that we are more open to certain things. So it's very important to be aware and to just be cognizant of that kind of stuff, at least for me. 